Well, as I record this, it is 5.55 p.m. local time and uh, 6.55 a.m. in Hong Kong. Already June 1st, 6.55 a.m. in Hong Kong. And in a little more than two hours from now, at around 9 a.m. Hong Kong time, they're expected to allow their many citizens and companies to begin investing in the major cryptos, including Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Now, for people who don't have background on this for the last two years or so, uh, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the whole article over on Substack. I'm gonna read the blog post that I put up this morning about this, because why not, right? It's a little bit more eloquent than me just sitting here and trying, trying to encapsulate what a major development this is. Way easier to just read this uh, post we put up uh, earlier today. So the resurgence of cryptocurrency trading in Hong Kong, embracing the international advantages of Bitcoin and Litecoin. After a prolonged two-year ban on crypto ownership in mainland China, the trading of Bitcoin, Litecoin, and other major cryptos is set to commence in Hong Kong within the next nine hours. Again, now it's uh, just a couple hours away. Uh, this landmark decision marks a significant turning point in the region's crypto landscape allowing enthusiasts and investors to once again participate in the exciting world of digital currencies, to delve deeper into the international advantages of crypto and shed light on the unique qualities of Bitcoin. Uh, all right, let's skip ahead a little bit. The end of a prohibition era. Prohibition, folks. I mean, what they had in Hong Kong and mainland China was basically the prohibition of crypto, and tomorrow it all ends. So the end of an era. For the past two years, mainland China has imposed the ban on cryptocurrency ownership and trading, citing concerns related to financial stability and potential fraudulent activity. However, the ban's effects have been far-reaching, stifling innovation and limiting opportunities for investors. In a surprising turn of events, the Hong Kong authorities have lifted this prohibition, signaling a renewed acceptance of cryptocurrencies and a fresh wave of trading opportunities. Mainland Chinese authorities will no doubt be watching the, quote, experiment in Hong Kong closely in the days ahead. And then uh, a hub for crypto trading, known for its robust financial system and business-friendly environment. Hong Kong has long been regarded as a leading global financial hub. The reintroduction of crypto trading in the city is expected to attract both local and international investors who have been eagerly awaiting the chance to tap into the potential of digital currencies. So very rough analogy here, but Hong Kong is kind of like the Wall Street or the financial district of New York City for the US, right? What the financial district in New York is to the United States, Hong Kong sort of is to the Chinese people. And of course, it's a little different because they have differing laws on a number of subjects and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's one of the big markets that the Chinese people invest their money in at least that's my understanding. And exciting times. And we're running out of, we're running out of uh, kind of transformative moments for crypto like this that blow people's minds, right? Because as of tomorrow morning, an additional 1.4 billion people, those in, in mainland China who can access their accounts in Hong Kong, potential 1.4 billion people may soon have access to crypto again. And that's one of those, you know, kind of dream moments, just like, uh, when Fidelity came out and started offering Bitcoin and Ether to their, you know, 30 million plus customers. That seemed like a huge moment to me. Uh, Bill Miller, one of the wealthiest people on the East Coast of the U.S., 
coming out and saying that he holds about half of his money in Bitcoin. And if his other investments were to go down, or sorry, he said if, his, if Bitcoin was to go down too much, he would sell his other investments and buy more Bitcoin. That's what a believer he is in crypto. Uh, and then you have one of the other wealthiest people on the East Coast, Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy in Virginia. And this self-made billionaire uh, has just been, you know, nonstop evangelical almost about the potential of Bitcoin and the potential of Bitcoin ownership. And so one of the areas that's been kind of unique for Fulcrum is not only were we early to covering crypto, we were also earlier, we were early to covering Jeffrey Epstein and those Podesta WikiLeaks and all that stuff. And as I say this right now, trending in the United States on Twitter, trending for everybody, is Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein is trending at the moment because a new batch of files or something came out, a new batch of uh, you know, court documents and related, uh, related files came out showing more of his associates and showing relationships at random publishers, including even Scientific American. So a better view of how deep this guy's reach was, this predator who ran a, a child rape island. And we were early to covering this class of people, these quote-unquote elites, whatever you want to call them, these inherited degenerates. And we were unique in saying, hey, wait, these are the people who in many cases inherited the central bank largesse. In many cases, not all. The monsters who were flying to places like the late Jeffrey Epstein's island didn't get their money from creating cool apps or you know developing a better car or something. Instead, they made their money by being born, made their money by being born into some of these historical kind of central bank mainline families. And the central banks are the biggest hustle, the biggest scam of all time, of all fucking time. Before about a hundred something years ago, central banks were not a thing. If a bank tried, or if a, if a king tried to do a central bank, the other kings would swiftly remove his head. It's such an unfair concept that, it, again, until about 100 years ago, it just didn't exist. It was never maintained because other market participants would say, hey, we're coming for your head. You can't do that. You can't control our money supply like that and be this massive bridge troll in the middle who invents most of the supply and then sits on it and calls it its fucking asset book and then goes out and manipulates the economy however it wants when its board of directors in almost all cases have no trading restrictions and can trade on what they're doing to the actual economies in which they exist. Central banking is ludicrous. It's like comparing a brand new smartphone to uh, a telegraph from the 1870s or something and asking which is, which is a better way to communicate with modern peoples, with modern civilization. The telegraph from 1870, which may not even plug in anymore because we don't have a telegraph system in the US, or the modern day smartphone. Obviously, most people are gonna say, hey, I'll take the smartphone. Uh, so we were unique in, in seeing early on these degenerates got their massive amounts of money and their kind of societal object permanence, not through being brilliant people, but just through being born into massive amounts of money. When you have regional currency monopolies, which is what central banks are, legalized monopolies, uh, geofence monopolies of money. When you have that, you can make an enormous amount of money, especially if you pass part of it on to your children and if they pass part of it on. Weird but true. And crypto is a direct threat to these, these people. And so we were, you know, just early to both of these topics at once. And we saw a kind of synthesis 
we saw a kind of, you know, maybe not a solution, but definitely some kind of synthesis of thought where it's like, oh, wait, if crypto comes in, it actually weakens this class of people, which is part of the reason why I root for it, is these central bankers who run places like Epstein Island, they don't deserve another hundred years. And Satoshi has given us a real way out, a real way to do civilization where we still have money and we still have capitalism, even more so than before. And we still have property rights and all the rest. We just don't have this weird bag holder troll class of child traffickers in the middle of every transaction. And he, when he issued his white paper back in 2009, or uh, sorry, I think the white paper came out in 2008, and then uh, Bitcoin launched in January 2009. But when he released his white paper about 15 years ago, it was only eight pages long. What a, what a sign of genius, right? It wasn't hundreds of pages explaining how Bitcoin works and the intricacies of it. Just eight pages, just nice and clean, just replaces all these goddamn creepers. And I'm 100% for it. Thank you guys so much. I'm looking forward to Hong Kong, regardless of what happens. We are long-term holders of some of the major cryptos rather than speculators or day traders. But again, this is an exciting moment. Like what else could excite people this much as the East finally turning on crypto again after a nearly two-year ban? You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.